Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you that you have given us Mihrach uh, uh, these, these times of calling to holiness, that you've given us this opportunity throughout the year to gather in holy convocation outside of just the weekly Shabbat opportunities to remember significant prophetic events that you have laid out for us, including Rosh Hashanah or Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, the new year on the Hebrew calendar. Father, we thank you that you have brought us to this season, to this opportunity to be able to dig into this observance, to hear the sound of the shofar, to blow the shofar, and to interact with the reality of what is going on around us. Father, I thank you that you have provided us another year of your breath of life, and we look forward to the coming year as we continue to not only breathe your breath, but Father, to carry your ruach, your literal breath, to the world around us as you speak through us, breathe through us, move through us, and impact those around us because of your work and your salvation in our lives. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. So, as we've already mentioned several times throughout this service, it is officially Rosh Hashanah. As sundown went down, we were able to uh, enter into uh, this festival known as Rosh Hashanah, which is considered the Jewish New Year. Uh, also, Yom Teruah, scripturally the day of the sounding of the shofar, or even more literally the day of shouting. Um, I do not call on you to shout right now. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the, the day of shouting, the day of the uh, sounding of the shofar. And one of the things that's really neat about the, the biblical feasts in general is that they were given to us, uh, as it says over and over again, and it's where they were given to us as memorials, not just of things that God has done, but of things that he will do as well. And each and every one of the uh, Moedim, the appointed days that we read about in the Torah, all have prophetic implications in the first coming of Mashiach with the spring feast and the second coming of Mashiach with the fall feast. And so we are uh, observing Rosh Hashanah in which God has commanded us particularly to hear the shofar. Uh, there's a bunch of sacrificial ordinances that went with that and things that had to happen in the temple with the priesthood and so on. But in particular, he has commanded us to hear the sounding of the shofar. And again, as we said earlier, this is a rehearsal for what is to come with the great shofar blast. But in particular, one of the things I want to talk about this evening is the uniqueness of the scriptural readings that we traditionally cover on Rosh Hashanah. As you know, within Judaism, we have traditions for everything. Um, and what we don't have traditions for, we'll make traditions up for. Uh, but we have traditions for everything. Uh, and in particular, we have the, 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 the readings that go along with the Moedim. We have the Torah cycle that is read on Shabbat throughout the year. And in just a few uh, short weeks as we close out uh, Sukkot, we will roll right into Simchat Torah. And we will roll the Torah scroll all the way from Devarim, all the way back to Bereshit, to the beginning, to the very beginning of the Torah, and start the cycle all over again. Uh, but this evening, as we celebrate Rosh Hashanah, it's really interesting. The passages of Scripture from the Torah and the, 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 the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, that we read uh, in uh, Rosh Hashanah, or on Rosh Hashanah. In particular, on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, in traditional Judaism, it's believed that there are two days if you're outside of Israel.
now uh, and that's because uh, just in case we messed up with the time zones or whatever we get it covered one way or the other um, as far as I'm concerned the Bible is very clear and I got a feeling that God knew what he was talking about the first time around and doesn't need our help uh, and so as far as I'm concerned as far as the tradition of CMC goes we do what Israel does and Israel does one day for Rosh Hashanah so uh uh, what's really interesting with that, and this has nothing to do with the message, is that the only the only Moed, the only appointed day, the only holiday on the Jewish calendar that we don't add an extra day to is Yom Kippur. Because nobody wants to fast two days in a row if we don't have to. Nobody wanted to fast one day in a row, but we do. Uh, so what we, uh, what we look at with the readings for Rosh Hashanah is really interesting. On the first day, we focus on uh, Genesis 21. Uh, and we also focus on 1 Samuel 1 and uh, the first little bit of chapter 2. Um, and then for the second day, we focus on Genesis, 20, uh, Genesis 22, which is the, the Akeda, the binding of Isaac, uh, the, the, the sacrifice, the, the intended sacrifice of Isaac and Abraham's faithfulness and being willing to do this and the symbol that it connects to uh, for, for us as believers to who Yeshua is. But I wanted to hone in particularly on the, the reading for today. Uh, for the first day of Rosh Hashanah and traditional Judaism, which is from Genesis chapter 21. And in particular, I want to look at verses 1 through 7. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Genesis 21 verses 1 uh, through 7. It says, Then Adonai visited Sarah just as he had said, and Adonai did for Sarah just as he had spoken. So Sarah became pregnant and gave birth to a son from Abraham in his old age at the appointed time that God had told him. Abraham named his son uh, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore for him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised Isaac, his eight-day-old son, just as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac, his son, was born to him. So Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham, Sarah has nursed children, for I have given birth to a son in his old age. Notice she says in his old age, because no woman's going to say she's old. Um, so as we look at this, it's really interesting that on uh, Rosh Hashanah we're reading this passage, because along with it, uh, we read from 1 Samuel, and we'll jump over there real quick, and then I'll tie this all together. 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning with, uh, or sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to read from chapter 2, but 1 Samuel chapter 1, we see this lady named Hannah, whose husband is Elkanah, and they go to the temple every year for uh, the, the, the Shalosh Regalim, the pilgrimage feast, which are Pesach and uh, Shavuot and Sukkot. Every year they go to the, the temple to make the sacrifices and to do what they need to do there, as God has prescribed and called them to do. But she's one of two wives that Elkanah has, and she's the one that hasn't given birth to a child and she's barren and she's brokenhearted and she's tormented about it uh, and Elkanah continually tries to encourage her just as Abraham did to Sarah and is constantly saying look I love you it's clear that I love you don't I take care of, uh, am I not better to you than than having 10 sons and the way I treat you and care for you and love for you um, and obviously that was not the case for her because she still wanted a son and so she's crying out to God over and over again but in particular this one trip she goes into the temple and she's kind of on her face prostrate and she's bawling her eyes out before the Lord and she's praying. Now she's praying silently. So her lips are moving, kind of like uh, when I read. Um, uh, her lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. 
um, which also kind of reminds me of politicians. But her lips are moving and nothing's coming out, uh, but she's praying. She's very, very vigilantly praying before the Lord uh, and asking the Lord for a son. And so Eli, the high priest of the time, comes out. And as he comes out, he sees this woman sitting here in the, ta- in the, the temple, uh, and it's uh, presumably, I think, Sukkot, because there was this immediate assumption she was drunk, and part of the celebration of Sukkot is that you can bring your offering. If you live too far away, you can sell it and bring that money and, and get, uh, as the Torah says, food and hard liquor and whatever else you want to celebrate before the presence of the Lord. Uh, so he sees her in the, the outer courts of the temple, and she's praying, but he thinks she's drunk because he sees her mouth moving and nothing coming out. So he just assumes she's drunk, uh, which kind of seems like a theme in Scripture, right? The same thing occurs in Acts chapter 2 as the Ruach falls on the believers and uh, everybody just immediately assumes they're drunk. So here we see Eli, the high priest, comes in, sees her like this. He says, woman, why are you drunk? Get up, get yourself straight and get on with your life. And she goes, I'm not drunk. I'm tormented. I am oppressed and I'm crying out to the Lord. And he sees the humility, he sees the fervency of her heart, he sees the passion that she has and whatever it is that she's beseeching the Lord for. And so he says, may the Lord bless you in what you are asking for. And so she actually tells the Lord, if you give me a child, uh, I will dedicate that child to you and he will be in your service forever. And so she ends up uh, the next year giving birth or within the next year giving birth. And so she waits to go back to the temple with her husband, Elkanah, until uh, the, the baby is weaned. And then she goes back and, uh, and she hands the, the child off to the high priest and says, all right, just as I promised, just as I said to the Lord, as I made a vow to him, this child will now be in the service of the Lord from here out. And we end up recognizing this child to be Samuel, the, the prophet Samuel, who anoints Saul and David and so on, uh, and is a one of the, in essence, last judges over Israel before the kingship uh, begins. But in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, she says, this is the, the prayer of Hannah, it says, My heart exults in Adonai, my horn is lifted high in Adonai, I smile wide over my eyes, for I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy as Adonai, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like you. Boast no, no more so proudly. Insolence comes out of your mouth, for Adonai is the all-knowing God, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the stumbling are girded with strength. Those uh, full higher, those those fool hire themselves for bread, but those starving hunger no more. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she with many sons languishes. Adonai causes death and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Adonai makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and also lifts up. He raises the helpless from the dust. He lifts the needy from the dunghill to make them sit with nobles, uh, granting them a, a seat of honor. For the earth's pillars are Adonai's, and he has set the world on them. He guards the steps of his godly ones, but, he, but the wicked are silenced in darkness. For one does not prevail by might. Those who oppose Adonai will be shattered. His thunders are against them in heaven. He judges the ends of the earth. He gives strength to his king, uh, exalting the, thorn, the horn of his anointed one. Uh, so what we see here is we're looking at these two stories, and, and I read this passage for a very specific reason. What we see is we're looking at these two stories in the, tar, or in the, the Tanakh, uh, the Old Testament. We have Sarah, who's a barren woman who longs for a son, who the Lord had prophesied not once but twice would have a son. Now she's an old lady, and she's still crying out for a son, but she's given up hope on having it, and yet here comes this son of promise that is birthed from her, 
and she's able to raise. Uh, and then we have Hannah in uh, the reading of 1 Samuel, who again is barren, and she's crying out for a child, and her heart's desire is to give her husband a son. Her heart's desire is to birth children and to rejoice as other women have in having children in their life and in her life. And she's just yearning over and over, and nothing can console her in this area except to have a child. And she goes to the temple, and she cries out to the Lord for this very purpose. And what we end up seeing as we're looking at this is Rosh Hashanah, which is this great day of celebration. And here we got two of the kind of saddest filling stories there are in the, the Bible. You've got these two women who are stricken with barrenness, who are fighting through all of the emotional turmoil and everything that goes in that. At, and we're reading it on Rosh Hashanah, which is this time of great joy and exaltation. And we're, we're rejoicing in the rehearsal of the shofar. And yet we're still reading these stories that are bringing our kind of spirits down to some degree and I started to think on this and process and I'm I was wondering why in the world do we read these passages of scripture every year on Rosh Hashanah you know it's, it's one thing to just do it every year but it's another thing to actually wrestle with why why do we read these on Rosh Hashanah and then I started thinking about the reality of what Rosh Hashanah is in Judaism it's believed to be the day in which creation began and with that, it's believed to be the day in which the coronation of Adonai as the king of the universe occurred because previous to creation beginning, there was no universe for him to be king over. He was just all there was. He was just God. Then he spoke creation into existence, and now he is the king over all the universe. And what we see is out of nothing comes everything, and everything was created for the purpose of the king. Everything was created for the purpose of Adonai. And when we look at these two ladies and we look at their lives, we see that they were barren. And in the Near East, the idea of being barren, especially in these days, was equal to being dead. You may be breathing, you may be walking around, you may have a pretty decent life, but you have no progeny. You have nothing that comes on past you. You have no continuation of your family. You have no continuation of your lineage. And in the Near East, you were, you, you were considered to be dead. It doesn't matter if you're a guy or a girl. If you couldn't have kids, that was it. And so here you have these two women who are very much integral parts of the narrative of the Bible or else they wouldn't be there, right? There's no reason to their story if there wasn't a purpose in the plan of God in revealing it. And so here we see these two ladies and we read about them on Rosh Hashanah and it started to, to hit me. Rosh Hashanah is a preparation for ultimately judgment. And I don't mean just the idea of the book of life and the book of death that's believed to be open on Rosh Hashanah and closed on the closing of Yom Kippur and we strive for 10 days to get our names written in the right book and not the wrong book and yada, yada, yada. Rosh Hashanah is a time in which we are able to focus on repentance and return back to God. Well, why do we need to repent? We need to repent because of sin. Because we have chosen to walk contrary to the will of the Lord and to His ways. So what's the consequence of sin? Death. So we read about these two ladies, Hannah and Sarah, <clears throat> among many who are uh, mentioned throughout the, the Word of God, who are struggling to have children, who are barren, <clears throat> and they both are able miraculously from death to produce life. Obviously by the hand of God, but they both are able to go from being viewed socially as dead to being able to produce life to being able to have children and their lines continue on and I started to think about this and the, the reality of Rosh Hashanah and in particular the reality of the work of Yeshua in our lives which was for the distinct purpose of giving us life 
And I don't mean just the breath of life because we have that. I mean life renewed, life restored, life in Him. And I started to think about these two ladies and the great work that God used them for in the ultimate plan of redemption. Because here we have Sarah. Sarah gives birth to Yitzchak, to Isaac. Isaac is the father of Jacob. Jacob is the father of 12 sons of Israel. And through them, we ultimately get Yeshua, who is the one who came and offered his life so that we could be restored and renewed in fullness of life. Then we have Hannah, who gives birth to this phenomenal leader of Israel whose name is Samuel who serves under Eli until Eli dies and the, uh, the, the whole uh, everything that goes wrong with the temple because of his sons and everything else that happens uh, goes uh, uh, wrong and he serves as a judge over the nation of Israel and as he's serving as the judge over the nation of Israel the nation of Israel comes to him and does exactly what Deuteronomy says and they cry out to Samuel and say we want a king so we can be like all the other nations around us which is the very thing that God didn't want because he called us to serve him as our one and only king. He called the nation of Israel to serve him as our one and only king so that we could, as we said yesterday, be a light unto the nations to restore them as God's creation back to the king of all creation. And so Samuel ultimately kind of goes on this tirade Um, And I kind of picture how angry and red-faced he was as he's uh, screaming at Israel and saying, what in the world are you doing? Do you not know what this means? Did you not read the Bible? Have we not led you right? Why are you doing this? And I'm paraphrasing the whole account. But ultimately he says, ultimately he says, okay, well now you're going to get exactly what you asked for. Because what God says in Deuteronomy is going to happen when you ask for a king. It's about to happen. And so God uses them to give them Saul, and Saul is what they thought they needed as a king, but we skip forward past Saul, and ultimately what Samuel really gives Israel is the coronation of Melech David, of King David, as the king of Israel, who's a man after God's own heart, who's a man who constantly seeks to return in repentance even when he fails over and over and over and over again. And I love David as this example for us as believers because we're human and we really stink at this faithfulness thing and we can look at David and go he really did too in some really literal ways beyond just breaking I mean some really literal in faithfulness ways Uh, and yet this is somebody that God, God says is a man after his own heart and through David we get the lineage that leads us to Yeshua who is the actual Melech Mashiach the King Messiah And I think about this and I I look at this idea of being brought from life to death and the idea that both Hannah and Sarah were in essence socially considered dead already. And these parshot seem so out of place and the concept of Rosh Hashanah and the idea of creation of all life and the idea of what goes into this celebration except that we recognize that Sarah was barren and was able to give birth to a son. And Hannah was barren and was able to give birth to a son. And from death comes new life. As we think about this idea of Rosh Hashanah, we think about this idea of Yeshua as our king, as Adonai, as the king of all the universe, who 
at the foundations of creation was established and coronated as the king of the universe, we recognize that when we sin, and by we, I mean tracing all the way back to Adam and Eve and everything that has occurred since, when we sin, we are ultimately turning our back on our king. And yet he still wants to be our king. He still wants to be our Lord. He still wants to be our Abba, our Daddy, our Father. He still wants to draw us closer to himself. And so as we look at this and the idea within traditional Judaism of the book of life being open on Rosh Hashanah and this book of life, those that, whose names are deemed, those who are deemed righteous, their names are written in the book of life on Rosh Hashanah and everybody else got 10 days to kind of get things right. And at the close of Yom Kippur, the book slams shut and either your name's in it or you're not. And if it's not, that means you're in the other book, which means death uh, and everything that goes along with that. But we as believers, we don't have to worry about that. Because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And we know that for certain because we have faith in Yeshua HaMashiach. We have faith in His salvation. And those of us who are believers really are ultimately like Sarah and Hannah before having children. Before we came to faith, we were barren. We were dead. We were ultimately ruining our lives and ruining our relationship with God because of our sins. But yet here, in God's infinite wisdom, in spite of our actions, provides a means for salvation anyways, a means for restoration, a means for us to go from death to life, for us to go from being barren for His kingdom to not only being in His kingdom, but being able to bring forth fruit and new life for His kingdom. And so as we think about the idea of the book of life being open on Rosh Hashanah, which is not a literal reality, but when we think about the image that that carries and that our lives are written in that book because of our faith in the promise of Yeshua Mashiach, the salvation of Yeshua Mashiach, the blood of the Lamb, it's important for us to recognize as we read these passages about Sarah and Hannah that God has renewed us, restored us, redeemed us so that we can continue to bring new life. And the problem is most of the body of Messiah, in all honesty, in this day and age, has reverted back to death, has reverted back to death itself. Not that we don't believe in the Lord, not that we aren't walking in faithfulness with Him, but we're not producing fruit. And the Word of God says we will know those that are saved by the fruit that they produce. And if we're not producing fruit, then what are we doing? If we're not bringing forth new life, what are we doing? So in Rosh Hashanah, as we focus on this idea of restoration, on this idea of an opportunity to repent and, uh, and return back to the Lord, I think it's of vital importance that we focus as believers on these passages and the image that it gives us of this work of redemption and restoration that is always available no matter what. This idea that God has redeemed us and restored us from the brink of death itself so that we can bring new life beyond our own and impact the world around us. And we go to Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 12. Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 12 says, so then, so then, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, in the same way death spread to all men because, of, because all have sinned. For up until the Torah, sin was in the world, but, this, but sin does not count as sin when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in a manner similar to the violation of Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come, speaking of Mashiach. But the grace, gracious gift is not the, like the transgression, for if many died because of the transgressions of one, 
how much more did the grace of God overflow to the many through the gift of one man, Yeshua the Messiah? Moreover, the gift is not like what happened through one who sinned, for on the one hand, the judgment from one violation resulted in condemnation, but on the other hand, the gracious gift following many transgressions resulted in justification. For if by one man's transgression death reigned through the one, how much more shall those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign uh, in life through the one Messiah Yeshua? So then, through the transgression of one, condemnation came to all men. Likewise, through the righteousness of one came righteousness of life to all men. For just as though the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners, uh, just as through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, many have been set right forever. Now the Torah came in so that transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace overflowed even more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. So we have this idea that this man who comes from, and, and much like with Sarah and Hannah, who nobody thought would ever have kids, here we have Yeshua born of Miriam, of Mary, who no one thought should have had kids because she wasn't married yet, and socially that wasn't okay. Biblically that wasn't okay either, but that's a different story. Socially it wasn't acceptable. And so here we have yet another miraculous situation. And not only did she give birth, uh, but she did so entirely miraculously because it wasn't of an earthly man. And she brings forth Messiah who gives his life that we might have eternal life in spite of our sins, in spite of the death and the punishment that is due to us. That we may have eternal life in the midst of our Heavenly Father. Paul picks up again in Romans 8 and continues this idea of life coming from Yeshua, verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Ruach. If indeed the Ruach Elohim dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Ruach of Messiah, he does not belong to him. But if Messiah is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Ruach of the one who raised Yeshua from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Messiah Yeshua from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Ruach who dwells in you. The Lord has promised to give us life. He has promised to renew us and restore us so that in his life that he has replanted within us and recreated us in his image and likeness, he can reign king in our life and we can produce new life for the kingdom of God. And I don't mean just physically producing children, but spiritually we are called, as Messiah says, go forth and make Talmudim or disciples of all nations. We are called to bring forth disciples. So you and I have been washed clean, made anew. Our names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life so that we can be made new and given life all over again, restored in Him. So that we can then do the same by bringing this new life to anyone and everyone that He puts in our path. And for many of us, anyone who looked at us 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years, however many years back, that knew us, that walked with us, that were friends with us, our families would have looked at us and much as Sarah says in Genesis 21, would have laughed at the idea that God could use us in such a way. And yet here we are standing, called by his name, bought by his blood, so that we can in fact look at those that may laugh at us and speak life into them. 
So on Rosh Hashanah this year, as we begin this new year of 5780, I want to encourage you to focus our hearts and our minds on what God has truly bought us for, on what the blood of the Messiah was poured out so that we can do. Because we weren't called to sit like lumps on a log. We weren't called into new life so that we could return back to death. We were called to new life to continue to bring new life. We were redeemed and restored by the blood of the Lamb so that we could be a proper dwelling place, a temporal dwelling place for the presence of God so that the world around us can see the continuation of His work in our lives. He didn't bring Adam and Eve through what they went through to bring us to Noah, to bring us to Abraham, to bring us to Isaac, to bring us to Jacob, to bring us to David, and so on and so forth, to bring us to Yeshua so that we can squander it all uselessly and waste away the gift that He has given us. And if our goal is simply to get in the gate, and that's it, then you might as well give up now. Because that isn't what He called us for either. And don't get me wrong, I wholeheartedly rejoice at the thought of any single person that makes it through the gate, at any single purpose, person who is saved. But if all we do is think about ourselves, then are we truly walking in the image of Yeshua? and the new life that He has given us, and the purpose for which He's given it to us for. So as we move forward in this Rosh Hashanah, and this time of the, the days of awe and leading towards Yom Kippur, I want to encourage you to take this opportunity to renew and restore your relationship with the Lord, to rededicate your life as Hannah did with uh, her son Samuel, in service before the Lord forever. And take the time each and every day to not only be disciplined as disciples, but to be disciplined to make disciples. To take the life that has been given to us in place of the death that we rightly deserve and bring it to those around us that God has put in our path. I want to encourage you this period of time, especially as we go out for Tashlik tomorrow at the bay, to take the time to think about all of the ways that we have squandered away the new life that has been given to us in Messiah. And not to dwell on it, but to cast it out with those breadcrumbs, recognizing that the Lord says in Micah that He would cast our sins in the depths of the sea that it would never be seen again. And recognize that although we may have squandered the gift that has been given us up to this point, we have a whole nother day ahead of us tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that as long as he gives us his breath to breathe to make that wrong right by his leading, by his calling and by his gift so that from death as each of us found ourselves in before knowing Yeshua we can come into new life and see others find new life as has been intended for us by the blood of Messiah. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, I thank you that on Rosh Hashanah we get to interact not only with your word and the hearing of the shofar, but we get to interact with the beautiful traditions and customs of uh, our Jewish people. And we get to see the reality that even in tradition, your providence is at hand. That you have laid out within these traditions opportunities for us to see the work of Messiah and the calling that he has given us. Father, I thank you that in uh, your word you call us over and over and over again to restoration and redemption. Father, even though we mess up, even though we sin as believers day in and day out, you want nothing more than to see us return. 
And so, Father, as we enter this period of repentance, I yearn for you to awaken our hearts and our souls that we may see the depths of our souls, the depths of our lives, and, uh, and, and allow you to reveal to us all of those things that are hindering your work in us. Father, may we cast them out as we cast the breadcrumbs upon the water so that we can move forward renewed and restored entirely without all the baggage of old holding us down, without the chains of the enemy holding us back, that we can drive forward as you called Israel to do in the promised land, moving forward in your lead, trusting you to prepare the way. And Father, open our mouths day in and day out for the good of your kingdom that many will come to know the wondrous work of Yeshua Mashiach. In the name of Yeshua Messiah we pray and everyone says, Amen and Amen.